Today you get to meet Tom Wyman, my uh, final roommate at the Air Force Academy from uh, a little town in Nebraska where he was raised on a large farm. He's a very uh, uh, sly and solid and, and competitive guy that would kick your butt if you, <laughs> if you didn't know it. And uh, he, uh, he has an interesting story about going from uh, the academy to missiles to a pilot career to uh, a SAC headquarter career. And uh, you're gonna, I'm, <laughs> we have so many stories. I, th- I think this is going to be entertaining. And so I, I, always, I, I always like to start these off with the uh, generic of uh, what message would you like to give the uh, incoming class, the current kids, as well as anything for the old folks that are listening in? Well, I'd have to say to refine your value system and don't compromise on your integrity. Cool. That's 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 pretty succinct. <laughs> well, you gave me thirty seconds to think about it. <laughs> I know, I know. So, uh, with that in mind, what got you to think of those two concepts? Um, well, I think over my forty-some uh, years with the government, you'll have lots of opportunities to um, maybe not do what's quite right, which might be. You might quibble and say, oh, I could probably justify that. But I think you're better off just uh, keeping your value system and always maintaining your integrity because you only have, you know, it's a one shot deal. Yeah. And now I I know a little bit about your, but I don't think everybody listening in knows that. How did did the Air Force Academy and your uh, upbringing? Well, <laughs> unlike most people that think you have to know somebody or have an in to get into the academy, I was, I was quite the opposite. <clears throat> uh, I was a farm boy in a small town in Nebraska, um, <clears throat> was active in my high school. I, I was uh, in a class of 17. Uh, part of me was in the top 10%. I was number two in my class, but I was active in sports and music and all kinds of activities. And... Um, Really didn't have the funds to go to college. Um, Thought that I should go to college. Um, Somebody told me that you could apply to the academy and you could go for free. Later found out it wasn't really free, but uh, it was free. And uh, applied and got selected to go to the academy. So what what was not free? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we used to say, you got a $100,000 education, nickel and dime at a time. (laughs) <laughs> on a broomstick in the, in the place to sit out. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, I'm kidding. Cause the free, yeah. Freedom, freedom was your time, your, your youth. We basically gave our youth to the military. So, so, um, so that, that got you from, uh, that, did you ever think of, uh, what an air force career was going to be? Uh, I did not. I actually went to the Academy with no knowledge of the air force. Um, I came from generations of farmers, not military types. So when I got to the academy, I didn't know there was a difference between officers and enlisted. I didn't know there was a difference between bombers and fighters and tankers. Um, I was totally naive to the military culture. So were you ready when they fired the cannon? No. (laughs) (laughs) You might, you might want to share with, I don't think they do that anymore, but that was pretty exciting for our class. Yeah. 
what what do you what do you remember about that event uh well once again everybody's kind of friendly the first day or two that you're there and then all of a sudden your best friends turned into a nightmare it was almost like a Jekyll and Hyde experience yeah that how was that summer for you that first summer uh actually Unlike most people that went to the academy, when I entered the academy, I think I uh, weighed 127 pounds and had a 29-inch waist, uh, but was used to physical activity. And when most people were losing weight uh, during the summer, I actually gained weight and I had no problem with any of the physical activities during uh, basic cadet training. Uh, My biggest challenge, like I said, was trying to absorb part of the military heritage that they were trying to force down our throats. So um, I'm just curious because that's such a shocking transition from uh, even if it's wherever you come from, from outside to this thing that you know very little about. So I'm curious, why did you stay? Um, You know, when you're totally naive, I don't even think you have, you know, that there's an option that you can leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and plus, you know, once again, my experience was probably rather unique in that uh, my parents dropped me off at the gate and then they drove away. And even if I did quit, I had no idea how I'd get home. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I was I was thinking, you know, in, my, in a lot of our cases, a lot of guys are saying, well, they had such they got the hair shaved off when they showed up. And so they didn't want to go to a civilian college afterwards and and look like a sore thumb sticking out. But it sounds like you didn't have that option at all. You just couldn't even get off the base. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's that's great. So I'm curious what because uh, I don't remember talking about you, to you about this much. What was your what was your Dooley Squadron? What, where were you? What was that all about? How was that for you? Uh, Dooley Squadron was actually pretty good. I was in uh, 38 All Stars, uh, which was a smooth transition to the 36 Pink Panthers because. Both 36 and 38 were in the far quadrant of the squadrons and kind of removed from most of the hyper-military types. Both, <laughs> Lucky uh, you! <laughs> both, both squadrons had the reputation of being rather laid back. Uh, so you so, knew, knew something about the Pink Panther tradition before you showed up as a Pink Panther? Nope, nope, but I fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> How was that, Ben? That's after the beast summer. What did you do a, a third degree summer? A uh, third degree summer, I did, uh, well, obviously survival training and then also um, went to airborne. Now, were you, I think you were, you, know, you and I were in the same airborne group, the third to the last one of the, of the summer, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember meeting you there, but uh, once again, it was another experience being in hot, humid Alabama in a non-air-conditioned barracks. So, Yeah, I, I, I actually gained weight in uh, Airborne because I came right from Siri, right from the <laughs> starving in the mountains to uh, Fort Benning, <laughs> Georgia, where they were letting us eat all we wanted to eat. <laughs> I just couldn't believe how much food you could pack away. <laughs> and then they would try to run us around and get us tired. The altitude was no big deal. Yeah, it was hot and sticky, but we'd already lost... 10 or 15 pounds on the survival trek. So what the heck? We're just gaining weight and jogging around. And it's like a, like a little summer camp. <laughs> so, yeah, probably my biggest memory of, um, 
uh, airborne training was the, the black hats and the black hats that would have their inspections. And of course, we always lined up alphabetically. And I remember Sam Walker, who was a, I don't know, kind of a country boy from Wyoming. They always were asked him because he was kind of tall and lanky. And they'd always ask him if he uh, polished his boots with a wire brush and a Hershey bar. <laughs> and uh, one morning at morning inspection, I was standing next to Sam. And Sam had actually taken Hershey bars and melted them on his boots and left part of the wrappers there. And when the black hat got to Sam and he looked down at his shoes, I thought his eyes were going to pop out. Uh, of course, the rest of the day wasn't that enjoyable for Sam, but <laughs> the black hats were quite impressed with his uh, <laughs> guts. Your, your reverence to their own. They must, have, they must have been talking about that for a long time. Uh, they were. Then, uh, then the, the magic happens. You end up in a squadron full of comedians. That's right. What was that like? <clears throat> you mean uh, Pink Panthers? Yeah. Yeah. I, once again, <clears throat> if you were to rate what was easy for me and what was hard for me at the academy, the easy stuff was the physical stuff. I loved the intramurals and all the physical stuff. Uh, next came the academics, which were um, Fairly, fairly easy for me until I got this one roommate that kind of kept dragging my uh, GPA down. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was at the end. <laughs> my GPA killing uh, activities didn't kill you till the very end. <laughs> okay, and then uh, the hardest part for me was the the military bearing and education portion. So uh, I really enjoyed enjoyed a squadron full of comedians and a a, a squadron that really put a high emphasis on intramurals and finishing high in the intramural standings. And especially in the, in the, the fighting stuff. I mean, the, the, the tough guy stuff. Cause I recall, I know you played rugby. I'm trying to remember what are the other sports you, you were good at? Um, well, I always played lacrosse and uh, I boxed and wrestled also, but yeah, those were my go-tos. I mean, those are not exactly for the weak of heart. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you have to remember, too, uh, even when I graduated from the academy as a senior, I was like at 140. So I wasn't the biggest guy to be playing rugby or lacrosse. Yeah, but I remember you taking them high and I'm taking them low and <laughs> putting some guys in the on the on the sidelines that were uh, former football players or, or some other you know, varsity athletes. That was pretty cool. Yep. A lot of fun. You, you, As I recall, you're one of the tough. You may think you're a little bit. You had a big heart and a big <laughs> A big hit. You were a big hitter out there. Right? I, well, so they I say. <laughs> I distinctly remember uh, you and I bragging about who who can we knock out this week? Can we actually go <laughs> do something? It wasn't head hunting, folks listening, and we just would be so thrilled that we were able to do a clean play and knock some guy out of the game. <laughs> um, the other thing I'm most impressed with that that you were a star at was your uh, musical ability. How did you get into that? <clears throat> <laughs> well, once again, I didn't even know it was an option, but during a basic cadet training, the first week or so, they uh, <clears throat> herded us all into this one room for music additions, and uh, I tried out for the choir and chorale, I guess. They just threw a book at us, and you sang a couple songs, and uh, a few months later, they said, hey, you're in the Protestant choir, and you also made the chorale, which turned out to be a great thing, because... <clears throat> Being a voice jock gave us an opportunity to uh, 
first thing every week uh, to go to the services, Protestant services, and then also to represent the academy at different events. Uh, some of the most memorable ones were obviously going to Washington, D.C. Uh, we went to Florida for spring break every year and sang down there. And uh, my senior year, we sang at the Miss USA pageant in Niagara Falls. So we had a lot of great trips. Now, speaking of that, I want I want to uh, let everybody know that Tom was you were a soloist, right? No, not really. Okay, I thought for some reason I thought you got to sing a solo because I remember I remember watching this Miss USA thing, going, "Oh my God, my roommate is on TV with all these beautiful girls. He's <laughs> got to bring one home." And of course, he didn't. But you know that that's yeah. the way that they they kept them sequestered <clears throat> from our guys. But, but it was be nice being locked up with all the fifty. Uh... <laughs> this USA contestants for two or three days. So after, after rooming with a bunch of weird guys, yeah, I'm sure that was <laughs> nice. And then the the, the part of that. So to, uh, before we get to the real serious stuff, one other thing uh, that I wanted to ask you about was the uh, well, we did two things, but one was the uh, the windstorm in our our room, our senior year. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember that at all? <laughs> I do. <clears throat> well, we were coming back from. Uh, Thanksgiving vacation. I think it was no, or I think it was November time frame, but we're sitting in our rooms and uh, they were having hundred mile an hour plus winds at the academy, and all of a sudden our big window just pops out from the under pressure, and uh, our stuff starts blowing out the the window, if you will. I mean, almost taking books off the desk. And I guess the thing I remember most about that is when you went to go get the janitor and told him we had a problem. And he comes back with a roll of duct tape and says, "I think this will fix the problem." Yeah. <laughs> and we it's said, like a, "It's a sixty-inch hole in your wall. <laughs> Breaking a piece of tape out to fix it." So, yeah, we're looking at the mouth of Jaws with all the broken glass sitting there, going, "How did they go?" What did you guys throw? We didn't throw anything. We're sleeping. It was the middle of the night, <laughs> and this bomb goes off, and it's just basically the Venturi sucked glass out. And we, I remember we had to deal with a uh, plywood uh, thing for. The yeah, they put the a structure. piece of plywood in there for months. So, because remember, we considered painting a, our own uh, scene on the plywood, but never got around to it. But we did, we did stick up some pictures of beach scenes with lovely things that they weren't, they weren't R rated, but they were close enough to keep us excited. So that was good. <laughs> um, and and continuing on that theme of uh, in. in oddball stuff that happened were you involved at all in the uh the squadron quarantine when we went to the aoc dinner <laughs> the famous enchilada dinner I, I was not i was not in on that one so but you were part of the quarantine we had to clean up all this stuff right no i don't think so okay. remind me what the we they all went to alvarez's house and they all so apparently the guys that went there got food poisoning and it was coming out of both ends for like a weekend and we and we had to, to the the 36 was maybe you weren't because you had your your aunt's car off base and you had tooled it off tooled away for the weekend but uh, it was it smelled bad and, and was pretty hideous going into the <laughs> latrines for a weekend kind of kind of keeping the squadron uh, spirit alive uh the other the other thing i want to ask you what do you did you remember any anything significant about any of the pranks we used to pull or the antics well of course my favorite <clears throat> Uh, antic, I guess, or one of my favorites, was when we'd make the uh, shaving cream cannons out of soda cans. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, 
for those of you that don't know what that is, you, when soda cans used to have rims on them, you tape probably four or five cannons, cans together that had both the top and the bottom uh, removed. And then on the last one, you would just uh, put it there with a little hole in it, and then you'd fill that one with lighter fluid. You'd fill the other ones with uh, shaving cream and put a, ten or put a tennis ball in and then fill it with shaving cream. And then you would light the uh, explosion chamber and it became a bazooka. So you would, <laughs> you would knock on somebody's door and they'd open it and you'd shove the bazooka in there and light it off and it would fill their whole room with shaving cream splatter. <laughs> right before a big inspection, usually. <laughs> Which was the most fun we would do and screw around with that. Uh, and, you, and you could also do it with Comet if you wanted to uh, mess up their shiny floor. Yeah, and then I, I, I remember doing it once where you did the um, lighter fluid on the tennis ball. And yep. you just on the thing dropping little little puddles of fire everywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that OSHA would not have approved of our pranks. They wouldn't approve yeah. anything. <laughs> but, and then, of course, there's always, you know, the time that we got stuck in the elevator shaft. It was probably a little dangerous also, but. Yeah, that was just the top. That was the top. I put the big, uh, the big uh, sheets, the signs of sheets and everything the, on the side of the library that night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the top of the stupid elevator thing was padlocked. I don't understand why. Who would ever go up there except cadets in the middle of the night? <laughs> <laughs> um, so going, kind of circling back to uh, graduation and the the choir thing. And about a month before graduation, you got the bad news. Yeah, <clears throat> I wasn't really happy with the Air Force. Basically, I had a medical condition from birth called hemiangiomy, which is some blood vessels too close to the surface of my tongue. And uh, basically, I was selected as a pilot, went into the academy thinking I was going to be a pilot. And then a month before I graduated, uh, the Air Force, in their infinite wisdom, said, uh, we have too many pilots, so you're no longer pilot qualified. And you're not navigator qualified either. And the only option you really have available to you is being an ICBM officer. Um, so I went to see the flight surgeon and said, hey, can you get a waiver for this? Explained the situation. And he said, well, we can put you in for a waiver. He said, but the reality is, um, well... He said, we'll put you in for a waiver. But in the meantime, I had, um, and since I was put in for a waiver, I drew for a pilot slot, and I got a slot with one of my friends to go to pilot training, and I was all happy. And then the waiver came back denied, and the flight surgeon said, well, the reality of the situation is there's nothing wrong with you, but there is an overabundance of pilots at the moment. So at that point, I said, well, I guess I'll just go back to my ICBM base with my some other friends that I had. But at this point, all of those slots at that base had been filled, and they were sending me to Timbuktu. So I marched down to the air officer commander's office and said, you know what? I don't really want to be in the Air Force at all. And the air officer commander said, you seem what, somewhat dissatisfied. And I said, <laughs> yes, I am. And uh, he said, well, would you stay in if you could go back to the ICBM base that they originally told you you could have? And I said, yes, I would. So I ended up going to 
Effie Warren becoming an ICBM officer for um, several years. And when I talked to the flight surgeon, he said, you know, what you really need to do is come back in about three years and they'll probably send you to pilot training. So with that in mind, I went into ICBMs. And did that work out, the pilot training option? <clears throat> well, <laughs> I told you that was not your typical military guy. So yeah. I got my uh, master's degree uh, while I was in ICBMs, which is good. And at the three-year point, when I got my annual physical, I told the doctor that I'd like to be evaluated as a pilot again for pilot training. And he said, well, I'll have to send you down to Fitzsimmons. Now, in missiles, you have a lot of time off. So it was not uncommon for missile launch officers that were young and not married to go skiing 20, 30, 40 times during the season. So what uh, 12 of us did was we rented a condo down in Dillon, Colorado for the year. And on one of these trips, the date I had a, an appointment at Fitzsimmons in Denver, and my roommate and I were going to go to this appointment, and then we're going up skiing for a couple of days. Well, when I went to that appointment, I went in and saw an Army doctor, and having typical Army bedside uh, manner, he evaluated my hemiangiomy, and he said, well, in my professional opinion, I think you could have a massive, massive um, hemiangiomy at the base of your brain. <laughs> and I said, well, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. And he said, well, it could rupture at any time and you'd have a massive stroke and die. So I found this a little disconcerting. <laughs> and a little. I said, well, what could bring this on? And he said, well, any type of physical activity. <laughs> so... So at this point, I left with a follow-up appointment in two weeks and went up skiing. And the next day, when I was on the chairlift with my roommate, he said, Tom, you're really being a Debbie Downer today. He goes, you know, either perk up and enjoy life or something else because you're, not, you're no fun. He yeah. said, you know, I said, well, you know, he said any type of physical activity could cause me to die. Yeah, he, really. said, <clears throat> he said, well, guess what? You know, you, you boxed, you played rugby, you played lacrosse. Uh, you're a pretty active guy and you haven't died yet. So you might as well enjoy your time until you die. So yeah. anyway, the rest of the day was much better. Well, I go back to this thing on your tongue. Then they're telling you part of the problem is they couldn't hear you in the cockpit and you're a singer. You're you're representing the academy as a singer in the Air Force as a singer, and I'm just I was flustered by I was totally flummoxed by that. I I still don't understand that. So, well, anyway, two weeks later they did a angiogram and took a picture and said, "Ah, there's nothing wrong with you. You can be a pilot." <laughs> there you go. Way to go, Tom. Now, uh, before we get uh, get back into that flow, I want to go back one bit and remind you of a very to me a very memorable afternoon when you and I were sitting in the dorm room and I think it was right after you'd lost your waiver to go to pilot training and you were you're kind of getting screwed in in the missile uh world and you were thinking of quitting and a, and a dually came into our firsty room to 
asked to, if we would support his resignation from the academy. And we, <laughs> do you remember how we did that deal? I remember, I remember fairly clearly. I, I do, but why don't you do it since you remember it more clearly? Well, no, I, I want, I, this is your show. <laughs> <laughs> so basically we went through a laundry list of all of yours and all of my woes. And at the end of it, he said, eh, I don't really have it that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny. He, he was he was so down and we started telling about our problems. And by the time we were finished talking, he was he was trying to cheer us up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he stayed or not, but that, that was pretty comical. I think we, we weren't even trying to be reverse psychologists. We we're just, <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, I have to go to the Navy. I'm flunking out. Tom's lost his his flight status he's got to go to some shithole in the ground and <laughs> when nobody has a girlfriend we're all just you know the, the world is ending and, and you want to quit well good luck to you goodbye <laughs> <laughs> well that, and, but it was really cool I think right after that after that guy did that and, and you got your uh, slight upgrade to Warren you invited me to go with you to Europe that was really nice yeah that was a great trip wasn't it it was <laughs> It was uh, three weeks of entertainment with uh, driving a car all over Europe. So have you addressed that with the group yet or not? Oh, no, no. This I, is your, I, your... I still uh, I still peep, tell people this story. So um, <laughs> I happened to be in Ohio with another friend and uh, John was in Florida at the time. And um, another friend was in Alabama. And this was before cell phones or text messages and all those things. So I called each of them up and I said, hey, let's meet in uh, New Jersey uh, day after tomorrow at midnight at the visiting officers quarters. And we'll catch a hop over to Europe. And everybody was in. So everybody heads for McGuire to make a midnight rendezvous at the visiting officers quarters. And we all got there at midnight and at midnight, the phone rings and the airman behind the desk says, is there a Lieutenant Wyman here? And I said, yes. And he said, somebody wants to talk to you. And sure enough, it was you, John. And you said, my car broke down. I'm still coming. I'm going to leave my car by the side of the road and I'm taking a bus and I'll be there tomorrow. So. We started our, we signed up the next day for a hop to Europe. And I think we were like 348, 9, 50, and 51 on the list to go to Europe for the four of us. And it didn't look like we were going to get out. So first we decided to do a side trip up to New York. And we got about three quarters of the way to New York. And we're in a traffic jam and said, you know what? I don't even want to see New York. And we turned around and went back to the water. <laughs> Uh, after two or three days, instead of being 348, 49, 50, and 51 on the list, I think we'd moved to 403, 4, 5, and 6. Wow. And we said, okay, we're out of here. But John came up with a good idea. He goes, hey, let's check out Dover. So we all jumped in the car. I had a Volvo 164 at the time, and we all drove up to Dover, Delaware, to see what was happening up there. Well, we got there, and the first thing that they said when we were trying to sign up for our hop was, 
that Ensign Hope was not on leave, in leave status. <laughs> and try as he might to convince them that he was in leave status because he had papers saying he had graduated from the academy and he had papers saying that he was to report to Pensacola uh, several weeks later. They would not <clears throat> sign him up for a hop because he wasn't on leave. So once again, before the days of cell phones and technology, he had to go to a building that was several blocks away because they had the only fax machine to contact the late Navy liaison officer to get him to fill out some leave paperwork for John. Well, in the meantime, an unscheduled aircraft came in. And as I said, there were four of us, three Air Force officers and an ensign. <clears throat> and when the aircraft landed, they had exactly three seats <laughs> going to Europe. And they were going to Rhinemine. And of course, we said we would take those three seats. And they said, well, you'll have to be in uniform. Well, John had taken the car to this other building to do his <laughs> paperwork. So I had an extra set of keys. So I ran down to that building quickly, got in the car, repositioned it outside of base ops. We changed clothes. And uh, probably 20 minutes later, John comes bursting to the door shouting, Tom, I am so sorry. Someone stole your car. <laughs> and then we said no john we had to come down and get the car so that we could put on our military uniforms so that we go to europe and leave you and behind said, and said that's great he goes that's great and i said well yes and no because they only have three seats and that's when you're uh, vocabulary changed somewhat as well as your attitude <laughs> towards your friends in the air force yeah. my brothers <laughs> and, in arms <laughs> and the aircraft was getting ready to load and we said we already checked it out john we're going into rhine mine we'll rent a car there's a flight going into ramstein about 12 hours later we'll drive down there and we'll meet you at ramstein and we'll pick you up and we'll start our european vacation once again, before cell phones or any other types of communications or rendezvous, John was somewhat suspect that he would ever see us again. Is that how you remember it? Well, yeah, I just knew I was going to Germany and what the hell. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but true to our word, uh, we got in there, we rented a car, and we picked you up in Ramstein 12 hours later. And then I'm on... I'm on a European vacation with three farmer boys who go to bed at nine o'clock at night and are up at five in the morning every day. And I want to party every night. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite two, I have several favorites from that, from that trip. One was the uh, salt mines. Do you remember that deal? Yep, I do. I still have the picture. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And then that, we, we went to an Austrian salt mine because you're running a car. You're not taking trains everywhere. So you stop in between places and, get to do some touristy stuff that you just wouldn't normally do. And we rode these uh, burlap bags down to the belly of a, uh, a Bavarian salt mine. And then the other, the other hysterical thing was after the salt mine trip, we decided to drive to Venice, Italy and spend the night. We couldn't find Venice, Italy from the highway. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that part of that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Our driving skills with maps and no communication skills were somewhat limited. So I guess probably one of my uh, <clears throat> more memorable moments was when Brian Eccles was 
driving what in in uh, Osberg maybe no I don't know somewhere in Germany but first uh drove down a sidewalk and then turned onto a railroad track with a train coming and then did some other disastrous thing and finally parked and you rolled out of the car and starting started kissing the sidewalk and uh Brian said oh I think that's somewhat unnecessary <laughs> I thought we we're gonna die five times on that one <laughs> yeah the, right. the other memorable photo I took Tom was uh we pulled up on the hillside above Monte Carlo Monaco, I guess, Monte Carlo, mm -hmm. Monaco, whatever it was. We looked out in the uh, Mediterranean Sea, and there was a U.S. aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took a picture, and, and I looked it up later, and it was the, the Saratoga, and that turned out to be the first carrier I ever flew on. Hmm. Foreboding. Yeah. three Like two and a half years later, I was landing at night on the, on the Saratoga in the Med. That was pretty wild. So, so the... We finish our, our European vacation and you're on your way to Warren Air Force Base. That's true. So, and I spent an enjoyable four years there, actually. Uh, the big thing at F.E. Warren, Cheyenne, Wyoming is Frontier Days. And uh, the military and the civilian community have a very close relationship. And uh, we did a lot of concerts and a lot of civic work there. And you... Um... You went to Reese, is that right, for pilot training? I went to Lubbock, which is now closed. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, Reese Air Force Base, yeah, yeah. Lubbock. Um, so, yep, I went there, and uh, since I was already uh, a captain, I got to be a class leader, which is uh, just additional, additional work, really, in addition to trying to learn how to fly to take care of uh, a bunch of second lieutenants. And uh, they were... Uh, I did pretty well there. Uh, got some academic awards. Of course, the, all the fighter jocks were disappointed that I actually requested a B-52 since I already had four years of uh, SAC credit, if you will. Is that, I, is that, so you were you could have taken a, a fighter, though? Well, I could have. Yeah. Okay. You know, Interesting. Who, who knows what I would have got, but my my op, my first choices were b52s and c130s those are the aircraft that i preferred so okay and did you do any flying before you got to reese no just the uh orientation at the air force academy so you didn't do t41 or any, any t41. Of that yeah just the yeah the the t41 class at the academy okay you, you did you did get to do that yeah that yeah all right and then um B-52s? Um, you know, your typical progression, or fairly rapid progression. Um, I got there as a co-pilot, uh, flew the uh, Strategic Air Command competition for the best bombers as a co-pilot, uh, upgraded to aircraft commander early, and then upgraded to instructor and evaluator, evaluator pilot early. Um, I only flew for about seven years before I went to air command and staff and then moved up to SAC headquarters to work in the uh, palm shop, the basically the budget shop and had about $60 billion worth of programs under me. So, so the question I always ask everybody that flew is, did, do you have any close calls you can share with us? <laughs> Flying aircraft, it's older than you. You have a close call 
almost every mission. <laughs> anything, anything stand out that's memorable? Um, well, once again, the B-52 is not a luxury or was not a luxury aircraft back then. Uh, you know, if, if you needed to put in full right rudder uh, with an engine loss that would take 200 foot pounds with your right leg, uh, it would take about 125 pounds of force to do for full yoke uh, displacement. So air refueling for 20 or 30 minutes to pick up 100,000 or 150,000 pounds of gas was kind of a challenge. Um, frequently, you'd have losses of engines or hydraulics or different things like that. I remember one time as a co-pilot, it seemed like we were burning fuel faster than we should. And uh, when we landed after a night mission up in the mountains, got down and the crew chief gets on and I said, hey, seems like we're uh, burning a lot more fuel than we should out of number three pod. <clears throat> I said, you might want to drop it down and look at it. And I said, you want me to shut her down? He goes, no, let me just check it. And he uh, pops the cowling off and dumps himself with about 100 gallons of JP4. And then I hear him go, uh, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> before he became a human torch so wow but that that was not uncommon to have stuff like that happen <laughs> not exactly a civilian airline with all the <laughs> famous may uh yeah the b-52s that that's older than us that's a pretty old airplane and then you you did a lot of that at barksdale is that right i did um you know i i had your your typical fly schedule i guess but i got about 2,500 hours in, in seven years, six, six and a half, seven years. So then it was flying a desk for the rest of your Air Force career? It was. Um, you know, went to SAC headquarters, enjoyed that. I was back in Nebraska. And then um, at the end of that three-year tour was when the uh, McPeak was in charge. And basically, uh, SAC and TAC and MAC all went away. And we went through an Air Force restructure. Uh, in the three years that I was at SAC headquarters, we went from 600 B-52s down to 100. And uh, during that same time frame, you know, the Air Force shrunk by about uh, ooh, probably 40%. So uh, it was a little, little more difficult to go back to flying. Um, and I didn't really have that opportunity to, to do that again. So I went to... Uh, uh, Strategic Air Command, which is the new command, and did three years there. And then after that, I did four years at the National Airborne Operations Center, uh, supporting the chairman and uh, some of our other national missions. So, And that's all. That's that really cool, uh, high up strategic stuff. Yeah, pretty much. And then uh, after that, you know, I retired um, to stay in Nebraska so that my kids could uh, graduate from the same schools that they started kindergarten in. Wow. And I did another 20 years as a GS, as a government servant at uh, STRATCOM, mostly working uh, J5. But uh, during my career at, at Offutt, I basically worked in J3, J5, J7, J8, and J9. So, And what, what did the different J's stand for? Uh, so J3 is ops. Uh, J5 is plans. Uh, J7 is usually training. 
and J8 or 9 is usually uh, analytical or ops research type stuff. Cool. Now, when you and I reconnected back probably 10, 15 years ago, you were doing a bunch of uh, uh, cyber stuff. Is that right? Or, or communication? Yeah, when I was in the J5 uh, community, the plans community, Stratcom was uh, one of the plans we were responsible for was cyber operations. And that was basically a new a new area at the time. Oh, cool. And, and you must know a lot of stuff that you won't tell us about, which is good. But uh, <laughs> just kind of reassure us that everything's working fine. Is that is that kind of how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't know what we don't know, but so far everything we know we, we got our handle on, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but... <clears throat> So Nebraska, born and raised, and you had a couple of detours, and and you're retired there now. Is that safe to say? That is correct. Yeah. You do get to travel a little bit, though. I know you've been to uh, a few places following your kids around, right? Uh, Well, I was fortunate in that um, when I was working at Stratcom, I was in charge of overseas basing. So uh, basically spent... Uh, several trips to uh, Europe and several trips to PACOM. And then throughout my career had done quite a few TDYs to different locations, but um, I have two children. Uh, one went to Iowa state and is a uh, defense contractor now in the Washington DC area. Uh, his area expertise was the downlinks for the different drones. And he's done quite a few trips to the middle East and now he's working in the States. And then my daughter went to um, Hamlin University in Minnesota and got her doctorate in physical therapy. And she studied abroad in Scotland and married a Scotsman. And when they got married, she said that she had to uh, do her physical training uh, residency in the United States, but they could live anywhere that he wanted. So he actually picked um, Kodiak, Alaska, (laughs) <laughs> she said she was thinking lower 48, but they spent three years up in Kodiak, Alaska. And then following that, they um, did a six-month walkabout in Australia. So uh, we obviously went to visit them several times in Alaska and then went to Australia and popped over to New Zealand. And, and now they're in North Carolina. And oh, he's the uh, my son-in-law now is the captain of the Duke Research Vessel. He's a, a Navy or a naval guy, navy a research, not, a nautical research guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's cool. They, that that's a neat couple, and that's a <laughs> the Duke thing is pretty interesting because uh, uh, we we know that program so, sort of it's not on the Duke campus; it's way on the eastern coast. Correct. It's in yeah. Buffalo, North Carolina. Yeah. Well, Tom, I I thanks. Thank you for this. This is really cool. I think the uh, crowd's going to be uh, impressed with some of this stuff. <laughs> I, I definitely want everybody to understand that uh, one of the things that is most impressive about Tom Wyman is he seems real calm, cool, and collected. You get him in a competitive environment, he'll kick your ass. <laughs> and he'll smile and he'll laugh about it, but it'll, and, and it won't hurt for long, but it'll hurt. <laughs> and then the other, the other thing is uh, I think some of this Pink Panther stuff that we're trying to uh, express to you is when you're, eating a lot of crap in different parts, phases of your life, you just roll back and laugh and roll with the punches and, and you'll be able to pull through and things will turn out okay. Keep, keep Thanks, John. I really on. enjoyed this. Yeah. 
I, I, we got to do this more often, buddy. Maybe not recording, but definitely talking. <laughs> well, maybe All we right. should have another Pink Panther reunion. So. Now, the last thing about our European trip, I, I want you to rem- remind everybody how tough you are at turning the steering wheel. <laughs> we made you do the drive from Nice, France, up to Switzerland, and he had to do like 140 of these uh, 180 turns. That was unbelievable. <laughs> the well, that that licking the moss off the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty tight space up there. So, oh man, thanks, Tom. Have a good night. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.